0: Welcome to On The Journey Conversations. I'm your host, Sandy Wisdom Martin. Today's episode is brought to you by the Christian Women's Leadership Center of Women's Missionary Union, where God's mission is our passion. Today's guest is David George, president of the WMU Foundation. David has been in that role for 18 years. David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, thank you. It's a pleasure to
1: be part of this.
0: David, A few years ago, you were in your mid-50s with your bride of many years. You're cruising toward retirement. You're living your best life. And all of that changed.
1: Tell us what happened and how. Allison was uh, 51 when we began to notice some challenges, a lot of miscommunication, which is normal. Uh, She traveled some, I traveled some, but it was constant. It seemed like every time I turned around, I was like, oh, you never told me you were going out of town or... Yeah, I told you that, and, and it just got more and more and more. She was still working. She was the uh, director of human resources for a very large construction firm, 600-person construction firm here in Birmingham, and had a very responsible job. Uh, our son had already moved uh, to Mississippi, and our daughter was in her senior year. And When she graduated, we talked about, hey, it's time. And what we've been living for was, you're going to quit work. You can retire or take an easier job or something. And that was the dream. Uh, We were gonna go on mission trips together, and and we did some. Soon after uh, late 2012, uh, realized that her memory issues were a lot more significant than Mm -hmm. just uh, work-related and uh, too much activity going on, too much other uh, stress. And so we saw her internal medicine doctor, and she had had some, TIAs years ago, uh, the doctor asked for another MRI, or the base of her brain, were clear. The brain had healed itself in that regard. There could still be residual impacts, but they tried some other things, thought it might be medication that was causing some Mm -hmm. brain clouding, and so we tried a new medication, she continued to get a little worse, yeah. and I realized that she was not even able to fill out an application to uh, try to find a part-time job. Wow, to go from an HR director
0: to not being able to fill out an application.
1: It was too much for her to handle, and she would just lose track of it and set it aside, and then I finally realized, okay, we've, we've got a, a real issue here. It took us about six to eight months to get in to see a neurologist, and we were blessed to go to the head of the neurology, the memory disorder unit at UAB in Birmingham gave us access to somebody we would probably not have had access to mm-hmm. elsewhere. The initial diagnosis was mild cognitive impairment and started her on a ARICEF, which is an a anti-dementia medication, which shocked me. And he saw my, the look in my eyes because my father had died with Alzheimer's. He struggled with it for about 15, 16 years and died the year I turned 50. Now here we were about five, six years later facing Alzheimer's again. So he just assured me, he said, look, not all cases of MCI, mild cognitive impairment, become Alzheimer's, but th- let's take this uh, just as a, as a precaution. And so we started down that path. We did some neuropsychological testing, which just, it, it, you push yourself mentally to failure. So it's a, it's a brutal test. Uh, it's necessary, it establishes a baseline uh, it's tremendously helpful, but to someone who is struggling, it was I could I could see it in her the humiliation, and it finally during one of the math segments she just said I'm done I quit, and uh, after lunch she had to go back for more testing and it took everything within me to convince her to go back. From then on she never wanted to go to that building again, which made it difficult because that's where the neurologist was. But we. Um, Got the results back, and it said, yeah, there, there's, there's something more than just your, your normal memory issues. I went to the library and read <laughs> everything I could find my hands on on mild cognitive impairment. And about 40 to 45 percent of the cases do become Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And the trouble is you only diagnose it really with symptoms and, and activities and behaviors other than having an MRI done. Uh, or an autopsy. That's when you get your official diagnosis that it was Alzheimer's, though either those two things. So we trucked along, uh, 2014, 2015, and it just kept getting worse. She did go on some trips with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm pleased she got to go to Alaska. I was asked to speak there once, and she right. she loved it. She she loves that part of the world. That, and we, I got her to Canada uh, to visit with our friends at the seminary we work with there. And she went on some mission trips with us, so mm-hmm. some mission fest, family fest. Each time there were incidences, there were episodes, there were problems that I, I, mean, I don't even want to recount them all because it got to where that was consuming my life. Mm-hmm. Um, she overdrafted the checkbook three times and she was handling all the checks and I was handling all the investments and, and stuff. And all of a sudden, those things started shifting back to me on top of still trying to travel and still trying to do... Uh, the job at a full-time basis at the foundation. And it became um, pretty, pretty painful, tedious, uh, exhausting. And you realized I'm taking over a caregiving role, but she doesn't realize I'm having to do the caregiving. She was still conversant then, she could talk, she could uh, she could drive. Uh, it scared me. Uh, I found a way mm-hmm. to tracker on her cell phone. So if she got lost, I could help her. And that happened a couple of times. She would call me and say, I don't know where I am. And I'd have to look on the cell phone and say, you're here and here's how to get home and I'll come meet you. And then finally, um, I talked to the neurologist about how do I take the car away from her? I'd had to do that with my dad and did it the wrong way uh, by just taking the keys. And it led to a horrific showdown that had to involve calling the police. And so I, of course, wanted to avoid that again. He said, well, let her drive for you sometime, place you know you're going, go there all the time. Let her drive and you ride with her. And we did it and she graciously reached a point she said, I can't do this. Oh, what a blessing that she came to that She came to the herself. conclusion, it was painful for her, but uh, we kept her car for a couple more years, but yeah. parked it. I couldn't bring myself to get rid of it. Then it re- created a whole new issue. How do I get her places? She's not working. Uh, She couldn't just come hang out at the office with me. Mm -hmm. Friends have been phenomenal. Our church friends, not just our Sunday school class, which started the process, it just has rippled all through our church and and now here it is, five years later, they're still doing it. People would pick her up and take her places just to give her activities. I I felt like half of my life was figuring out what to come up with for her to do Mm -hmm. each day so I could get to the office. Traveling became just ridiculously difficult. Uh, you go every six months to the neurologist. He does a little mini mental exam and he was shocked. And so he called for a uh, another MRI in 2016. And uh, in March of 2016, we got the final results and said, yeah, it's definitely Alzheimer's. And you could clearly see atrophy in the brain that had not been there in 2013. So between those three, four years, the brain had become atrophied. Directly behind her language center, it's called um, primary progressive aphasia. And that is not just in how you communicate spoken word, but how you comprehend words spoken to you. And so you could say, bring me the cup, and she doesn't understand what a cup is. So following steps, uh, following directions, uh, recipes, how to wash clothes, uh, Some humorous ones. Uh, I took over all the cooking. I've been, I've been cooking since 15 now. And uh, she would tell me she loved it. But she'd tell all her friends I was a terrible cook. So. <laughs> <laughs> and just
0: the simplest things. She forgot how to brush her teeth.
1: Started getting harder and harder, and I had to be in there with her, so we would brush them together so she could mimic me
0: yeah.
1: uh, doing that. Uh, showering became harder and harder, and I would have to basically stand in the bathroom and help her shower. Um, And of course, that progresses on and on and on until they finally become completely care resistant as the disease progresses. And we did finally reach that point. And um, 2017 was sort of a watershed moment for me. I was traveling, I was just, I I couldn't function anymore. And graciously, the foundation board uh, stepped in. Uh, I offered to resign uh, because I knew I couldn't do the job like I've been doing, and uh, they said, no, <laughs> we don't want you to go, uh, we want you to stay, we're gonna find a way to make this work. We found a way, they did, and our and the staff, uh, the folks who, who were there, some have gone, and some are new ones there, have all had to deal with this, uh, and that's what's kept the foundation able to continue to function. But in that time period, 17 on through 19, Allison progressed, and um, uh, it became very obvious that Staying in the house we had been, where our kids had grown up, just was, it was too big, I couldn't maintain it. Uh, I couldn't handle everything else. Since the initial diagnosis, Mm -hmm.
0: she has progressed steadily. Yeah. At one time you had to put her in
1: care. Right. And that didn't work out so well. No, that was horrible. Painfully horrible. It worked at first. Two things about, uh, they now call it younger onset Alzheimer's Mm -hmm. um, because, Everybody with dealing with Alzheimer's has an early stage to it, um, but hers was younger onset, being in her 50s when it occurred, yeah. and it progresses faster. For instance, my father had Alzheimer's, but it lasted 16 years before he had to be moved into a, a residential place. Uh, still, it progressed with Allison very rapidly. I did find a respite program that uh, called Encore at Canterbury United Methodist here in town, and uh, they uh, engage volunteers from. Uh, 30 other churches and denominations. I loved when you put her in that program because the way you described it to
0: me is she didn't know she had Alzheimer's and she thought she was going to help other people. Exactly. That was a phenomenal it is, it is ministry. a beautiful
1: ministry. They learned it from a church down in Montgomery. They have trained other churches here in the area to do it. My passion is to get Baptist churches engaged in it, even if you're not the host church. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's in every congregation. There's somebody, it's not designed for younger onset Alzheimer's. She was the anomaly. She was the youngest one in the program. She thought she was going to help the old people. Yeah. And that's the, their model. They yeah. do, everybody that's a participant is matched with a volunteer, but they come up to you and say, hey, my kids went to Sanford too, let's sit together today. And she doesn't realize that she's being looked out for. And she loved it. And it was four hours of fun, games, food, Music, crafts, uh, crafts. I mean they just they just had fun. Yeah. They had a blast and uh, they graciously allowed her to go twice a week yeah. and that gave me two days a week that I could run to the office. Then we started developing friends from church. would pick her up and, mm-hmm. and they would sit with her till I'd get home and that gave me a few extra minutes at the office and our staff uh, at the foundation rallied around it. I'm sure it frustrated them. It had to frustrate them because I'd come racing in and they didn't know if I had five minutes or or 55 minutes. Mm -hmm. We made it work somehow. And then you had to progress to put her in a... Right, first thing I did was uh, we downsized our house. Yeah. Uh, And that that was painful. That was 20 plus years of living there and we moved to a wonderful place. We moved moved to a retirement community where my mother lived, where my father passed away with Alzheimer's. Uh, It's a multi-level care facility where Mm -hmm. you've got independent houses, independent apartments, where my mother uh, is. Uh, and then, and she's been there 10 years now. She moved there about a year after my father passed away and he was in their dementia care program. And then they have skilled nursing and, and regular assisted living. So we bought one of the cottages and that little that story alone is, is uh, amazing how we got it but, uh, because there was only 30 of them there and someone wanted to buy my house and I had to get one. God made it happen. I mean, it's too long to explain it, just God made it happen. He Um, can do that. And and then my Sunday school class and others from my church moved me. Twenty-five people and about 15 pickup trucks show up to my house one Saturday and moved me. We had to downsize a lot of stuff and that was painful. We got to this one level, uh, there's plenty of room for us. Just a transition and Allison took to it well. It was like she didn't miss the other house. Uh, It was so odd. It it began progressing even more after we got there. I, I thought this will buy me a couple of years. And it wasn't four months but when the dementia care program offered to create an actual daycare program, which is more than respite. Mm-hmm. And she went every day, uh, five days a week, to go help the old people up there. <laughs> that lasted a couple of months, working well for a few months, and then she started realizing I'm the only one that looks like me. And she would see people her age come and go, and it's a locked unit, mm-hmm. and she couldn't go. She couldn't go until I came to pick her up. And she began trying to leave and started becoming combative. And finally they had to say, David, it's not working anymore. That's when we had to start medications. And uh, the mood calming medications. And you think, okay, it's a hard decision to make. Uh, you're thinking, do I have the right to do this? And then I think, but if I don't, nobody can control her. Yeah, and by then you're kind of running out of options. Yeah, it's, the option was keep her at home. At that mm-hmm. point, I was, that was it. And uh, of course I had friends still coming and um, we thought about keeping her at home with sitters and I thought she'll never adapt to a sitter. She still had cognition at that point and knew something was going on. And I think if I just left to go to work and there's some stranger sitting there, she's, what is going on? She she would not adapt to that. Friends coming over gave me a break. Uh, I mean, those days were a blur. It was about a month and a half and it was a complete blur to me.
0: But even if she's combative and you bring her home, that's not going to work because no. she's going to be competitive to you. Yeah. You can't do anything about it. All of a sudden you're going to be
1: abused. Yeah. Uh, she, she, she's strong. As a, a, at that point, she was 57, healthy, could pack a wallet. So, yeah. and when you're trying to provide care and they're saying no, but they can't do it themselves. So we had a couple of um, crises and emergencies and, um, then the dementia care program came back and said, David, if the medication is helping any at all, we're willing to try her back up here in a residential setting. Mm-hmm. And so that was like February, January of 18. And uh, hard to believe, maybe it was 19. Uh, the years have blurred Understandably so. But I know we tried it, it lasted about four months. Yeah, The first two went well. The move was shocking to me, how easily yeah. she transitioned to it. We, of course, took some of her stuff and put it in the room there. And- Finally, um, her not being able to remember is a blessing. Yeah, it, it, that really did become a blessing. Yeah. That and when she would forget that I'd been a jerk to her, you know, I mean, that, that happened. You would- um, yeah. Uh, you can only get yelled at and hit enough times, and you finally, even though you know it's irrational, you, 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 you react, uh, and then I would tell the friends, oh gosh, she's gonna, be, she's gonna hate me today, and they'll say she never mentioned it. So residential chugged along for a while. It was very um, emotionally painful. That was brutal, because now I'm going back to this house we've just downsized into by myself. It, it never felt right or yeah. good. Those were some hard days because, um, you know, I'd go to the office, and I was worrying about her the whole time. I was calling mm-hmm. the place all the time. How's she doing today? How's she doing today? Yeah. And then when I went home, I couldn't go see her. They wanted me to stay away for a while. And then finally I was able to start coming visiting, and we would visit like every other day or so. And uh, she would get so excited every time she saw me. It was like brand new. Of course, I could walk down the hall and come back, and it was a new visit for her. <laughs> and, and and she would get all excited again. And, she was, and we thought, okay, we've this is working, Yes. until it didn't. Yeah. And about two and a half months in, she became combative. And the structure there, they have to, in a dementia care residential program, it's not the same as skilled nursing. You don't have the same number of people. So they have to be able to provide one-to-one care. And they realize one person is going to be giving her baths and things like that, but it couldn't take two and certainly couldn't take three. And it was taking three. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And they were not even being successful. And it was just getting, uh, their fear was if she ever struck another resident, then they're required to kick her out. Yeah. So the next step is what I had avoided by bringing her home the first time, and that's hospitalization. And that, the first one I thought was the most brutal. um, Because they didn't want me to be there. And so I had to, uh, sit on the side of the road and watch the ambulance go by, and I didn't get to see her for like three days. And um, I shouldn't say this, but I will. Uh, that was a horrible unit she was placed in. It was a backup, and it started okay, and we thought it was going to go okay. I was very upset about the way things happened.
0: Yeah.
1: Every time I went, she was wet. And so I would change her, and they'd get mad at me for changing her. But I only got to see her 30 minutes twice a day. And so you knew if I'd make them angry, that's who's taking care of her 23 hours out of the day. And um, finally she was released, and they had not changed her medicines. And I thought, what a waste. But she seemed calm. We all suspected maybe it just took that long for the basic medicine regime to kick in. Um, and it lasted three days. And then we went back to a different geriatric setting in a hospital. And this time they said, why don't you take her? And that was worse. Because I had to hold her down while they sedated her. Yeah. And uh, at that point, I got to tell you, I did question God.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I wondered why, why is this happening? Why can't we reach a place where she's safe and happy and content? And uh, that hospitalization was very good. The doctor was outstanding. Uh, It's a program here in town that I'm familiar with. Um, It lasted almost two weeks again, but uh, they let me see her more often They they took exceptional care of her. And we came out and said, okay, now we're there. But the medication had gone up dramatically. Mm -hmm. We got her back to the residential dementia care program. And we thought, okay, now we've made it. And five days later, she hit a resident. And I was told... And now she's out for good. She's out. She's out. And... um, I had to come pick her up and bring her home. And that's the only option you have left? That was it. And we laid down that night about 7 o'clock. I laid down beside her and she just said, Hey, it's good to be here. And I said, Yeah, yeah it is. And I don't think I slept mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because we're going to start doing home care the next yeah. morning. And uh, that was in May of 19, May of, May of 19. So yeah. you've been doing this for a little
0: more than a year. A more than a year, yeah.
1: And it has been working. Yeah. It, the first few months were difficult, but yeah. all of a sudden we started, the, the thing I feared most, leaving her at home alone all day with a stranger, became perfect for her. Yeah. It is exactly what she needed. I don't know it would have worked before we tried residential, and I guess I'm glad we tried residential first. And now with COVID, I wouldn't even be able to see her. It would have been months since I've seen her. Yeah. I see her every day, every night every morning, every night. I have caregivers that come 12 hours a day. In fact, that very first uh, young lady, Kenesha, uh, that showed up that very first morning is still with us. Uh, They become like family. Praise God. Keisha and Kenesha uh, are being invited to my my daughter's wedding. I mean, they are family. So they come uh, every morning and uh, get her ready and stay with her. And then I come home and they leave right after dinner. And it's worked incredibly well. It's shortens what you're able to do. uh, Even traveling now is is extremely difficult. I was able to go to my son's wedding, of course, but um, it's just a lot more complicated to do overnight care.
0: Well, David, in those moments when you were crying out to God, when you were at the lowest of low asking God why, did you get any answers?
1: Some, yeah. I think there's still answers to come. Uh, I think, I don't know that I could say, oh yeah, here's an answer, here's an answer, here's. I do, I do believe the move was clearly God, God directed, Yeah. clearly directed to, for us to be right there. In fact, the man I'm buying the house from, I bought the house from, his name is the reverse of Allison's, and that's why they wanted to meet us. And, How about uh, that? And they were missionaries to Italy, and they knew I worked for WMU.
0: How about that?
1: So they didn't even put it on the market, they just sold it straight to us. That is a God thing. <laughs> I mean, there's God. no way that, because I, I had to move into one of those 30 houses, and yeah. that was the only one. Wow. I guess a big thing I've learned uh, about pain uh, and how to talk to people about pain, um, I have people all the time who want to tell me, oh, we'd be in a support group, and people would be sharing their stories, and I'd start sharing mine, and they go, wait a minute, you're talking about your wife, not your mother? Yeah. And everybody wants to say, oh, your pain is much worse. Mine doesn't even relate, equate to yours or compare to yours. And I'm like, yeah, it does. My pain is worse than your pain only because it's mine. Yeah, Your pain's worse than mine because it's yours. And I have to, that that taught me to become far more empathetic. Mm -hmm. Um, What God would, I think, teach me to do or cause me to do was when I felt sorry for myself, and I did often and still do, is think of somebody else. Call them. So I've had friends who have lost loved ones to dementia, who are older than me, and it happened late in their life. But their pain was still as as vicious as my pain. And so I'd think of them. I'd call them. I'd call and just say, "How you doing?" That is great. Well, what what have been some of the
0: most helpful things that Christians have said or done for you? You mentioned some of those about your your church being so good to you. What, what, have been, what have been some of the most helpful things that have been said to you or done for you? Notes and
1: prayer, people praying for you and assuring you they're praying for mm-hmm. you. The emphatic way that I've heard people say they pray for me and Allison and my family. When someone says it and really means I've been praying for you, or mm-hmm. you get a text at 7 in the morning, just prayed for you. Yeah, Those are very tangible. Uh, bringing meals, helping buy supplies. Uh, and when you've got someone home care, uh, there's a lot of supplies we have yeah. to have and um, for her care. And just the fact that somebody else did it and I didn't have to go out and find it. And you and you realize that just saved me some dollars, but also time. Mm-hmm. People willing to come sit with her, come visit her. Uh, our Sunday school class, members of our church, it's, it's, like I said, it grew outside of our class, was doing everything. And then others started getting involved. Bring a meal twice a week to us. They've been doing it for over a year. That's fantastic. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's just, uh, people offer to do all kinds of things. Some I still like to do the grocery shopping just to get out.
0: Yeah,
1: it just gives me something to do. I mean, yeah. I'm uh, 61. I still want to stay somewhat active. Yeah. Um, those have been very, very meaningful.
0: Well, on the flip side of that, what has been something unhelpful that Christians have said or done?
1: I won't say it's just Christians, but people have good intentions when they say, oh yeah, my, my great-grandmother had that. And you're like, you this is my wife. Be careful how you phrase. Um, when you're talking to somebody about their pain, use your pain only as a, a barometer, maybe, or as a starting point to understand what they might be feeling. Don't try to make yours sound worse or even better than theirs. Uh, it's different. You can say, oh goodness, I can understand about Alzheimer's, but I can't imagine that to be with my spouse. Yeah. Um, and the fact that it came at this stage of y'all's life. People do make jokes about their own mental abilities. Mm-hmm. And I don't take it personally. Um, oh, I'm, I must be getting Alzheimer's. Well, you know I've seen it and it's not pretty. So don't yeah. just don't joke about it. So yeah. nobody means it ugly. Uh, no, of I course mean, nobody's, not. I've, I've been, and, and in fact, that's the other thing where God's blessed me is uh, the support of family. I did form a little fraternity, if you will, of uh, people who, uh, my age or a little older who had spouses uh, dealing with it, because it's a little different mm-hmm. uh, than when you're dealing with it in your, in your parents. A- a- and, and of the five others, they, the caregiver outlived their loved one, which is breaks the odds. The odds are the caregiver dies more often than the person they're caring for.
0: Wow, I had no idea. Uh,
1: It does take a toll, doesn't it? It it? takes a toll. It takes a toll.
0: What Uh, advice would you give to somebody in your situation? hmm. Knowing there's not anybody exactly in your situation, but...
1: No, that's a good point. What advice would you offer? I was slow to go to a support group and slow to lock in with one, and I should have done it sooner. I wish I'd done that sooner. I, I would say fight the urge to go it alone. I was slow to tell my Sunday school class.
0: <laughs> there is a pride thing, isn't
1: there? There, there is, and there's also, a, when it's with younger onset, you also are thinking, this can't be really happening. I mean, mm-hmm. that's almost, there's a, there is a denial. Even though I knew something, and I'm the one yeah. that pursued finding out what it was, I still was like, this, this just can't be happening. Yeah. And then you feel like, well, you know, I, I can handle this, I can handle this. Tell your family everything that's going on. Tell your friends, your neighbors, Neighbors in particular, oh my goodness, I can't tell you how many times I had to go try to look for her. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, a neighbors, I just saw her going around, okay, okay, we're okay. Downsize sooner and seek seek care sooner. Okay.
0: How has God changed you through this process?
1: I'd like to think I've become more empathetic, because when I hear of someone dealing with a tragedy, regardless of the situation, uh, my heart really generally does go out for them. However. I have become angry, and I had had to to, there would it. be times when I would be at the breaking point and something would happen. It's minor, but it was just, it was it. At the wrong time. It was, it was just all I could do. And I would just, and I would hate myself immediately. I'd immediately go, that had nothing to do with this situation. It's just, I'm so angry at what I can't control, but I'm going to lash out at what I think I could control. I mean, we're in year eight, I guess, of this. And there's probably a lot more years to go. I've never been angry at her. I've never been bitter at her. Oh, mm-hmm. I, I reacted when I got bit. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I've never been mad at her about it. I feel sorry for her. Yeah. I hurt for her. Because I know what a gifted writer she was, and now she can't talk. Yeah. Uh, I know, Um, how much she cared about just her appearance and now she has to be completely cared for by other people and this could last a long time
0: yes it could where where are you drawing your strength from these days oh goodness
1: Um, I've learned that even though I wasn't trying to do it I pretty much stay in constant prayer I may just mutter to myself Lord help me with this yeah. It's just a constant. Uh, even if I'm in a meeting with someone, there's a, there's a mental part, a part of my mind that's just saying, Lord, help me choose the right words. Lord, help me do this. So that continuous prayer. I used to think of prayer as a singular moment in time. Mm-hmm. Friends, family. Uh, I've not faced what so many people have faced in my situation. What I mean by that is I thought my job was in jeopardy they have made it clear my job has never been in jeopardy. I don't know another person with, who's trying to work and take care of a spouse who hasn't faced that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know of people whose families, they're in great dispute. Mom doesn't need that, your spouse, that's not really happening, we're fight, and they were fighting over it. M- my family, all the way through, and not just my kids, I mean all the way through, in-laws, everybody have been 100% supportive they saw the transition. They trusted the advice we were getting. They didn't want to believe it. Oh, we, we all went through, this can't be happening. Yeah. But never have I felt like they were anything but 100% supportive. And then my church. What, as, we, as we close out this podcast, what is
0: one word of hope that you would offer people who are hurting today?
1: This is why we are in church. We are in church to be with believers and love and care for other believers, but so that when it happens, we're not alone. Yeah. And I can truly say, I have felt alone in my weakness,
0: but I have never been alone. Never been alone. And that, that is a great word to end on, David. In, in the midst of the crisis that we're going through today, it's time for the church to be the church. And yeah. thankfully you're in a body of Christ who is being the hands and feet of Christ. And that is a blessing. And I'd say to those of you who are listening, if you're not in church, find one today. And those of you that are in church, pick up a phone, text, call somebody, and invite them to church. Even if we're not meeting as a church, invite them to join you online. David, thank you for being with us today and for sharing your heart on this critical issue. For me not to speak would be not to give glory to Him. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to thank you for listening to this edition of On the Journey Conversations.